What up, everybody? It's Cuff of the Vision Lab Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Farmers Insurance, the Robert Garcia Agency. If you're looking for the best insurance and customer service, make sure you pick up the phone and dial 972-645-1844. Whether it's home, life, or business insurance, Robert and his staff are the best at protecting you and your family. Once again, that's Farmers Insurance, the Robert Garcia Agency. Agency. The phone number, 972-645-1844. And the website is farmersagent.com forward slash R Garcia. And don't forget to mention the Vision Lab podcast. What's up, everybody? It's Tony Mack, owner of T-Mack Elite Training with my wife, Ashley. And you are listening to the Vision Lab podcast with Cuff and Mo. Mention this episode. You get a one-on-one free training, boxing class, also a gym pass. Now go ahead and enjoy this episode featuring my husband, Tony Mack. Welcome back to the Vision Lab podcast in partnership with Nexum Creative. I'm Ryan Cuffey, alongside with my co-host, Mr. Ryan Mosley. Here in the Vision Lab, we put pen to pad and dive deep to uncover your passions and your dreams and how you can arrive there. On today's episode, we're going to dive deep into boxing, what it's like to be an entrepreneur and own your own business, as well as growth mindset. Yo, Mo, who do we have on the show today? Cuff, today's guest is a native of Dallas, Texas. He is a retired boxer with a career record of 13-1-1. He is now the owner of T-Mac Elite Training in Allen, Texas. Please welcome Tony Mack to the Vision Lab Podcast. What's up? What's up? What up, T-Mac? Excited. Hey, what's up, man? Doing good. I appreciate you being on the show, brother. Most definitely, man. So let's just jump right on to it, Mo. What do you think? Proceed. So who is T-Mac? What are you all about? All right. Tony Mack is a uh, young man, grew up in Dallas, Texas, Pleasant Grove. PG. PG. You know, uh, my pops, you know, he raised me as a single man. So he always treated me like a man growing up. So he told me uh, when I was about four years old one time, he said, if a fat man come down to my chimney, I'm shooting that motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm Santa Claus. (laughs) So then, you know, I've been like, hey. I'm a man. Ever since then, he always treated me like a man. So um, he always taught me to, you know, look a man in the eye, shake a man's hand, firm, look at him in his eyes, let him know that you're about business, that you're about respect. Say yes or no, sir. If I didn't get punched in the chest, but hey, that was love back then. Right. And right. look where it got you me today. You can't do that now. You can't do that now. You go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> well, my pops always, he's always treated me like a man. So how, how big of an influence uh, was he on your life? You know, my pops living in the streets. He was out, he was not living in the street. He was out in the streets being a young single man. And so um he wasn't the best father. He lived he lived the lived the lifestyle, hung with he hung. I didn't know if he was a pimp, but he hung with all the top all the pimps, all the gangsters, all the uh hustlers in South Dallas, Dallas. He grew up in Chicago. So um he basically uh was raised by himself. He taught me the the real responsibility, like, you know, because he was like, he could have been a single man, could have been a dude. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to take care of this kid. I'm about to go live my life. I'm out doing what I'm supposed to do. But he he stepped up. He was a man. He made sure I never wanted for nothing. And so, I, you know, that's what made me the, um, what made me want a, want, want a son so bad and want a, a girl, a kid so bad and healthy baby. That's what made me, you know, just accept all responsibility because he did that with me because he could have, he, he could have been whack. So let me ask you this. Let's let's back up a little bit. Where was mom in the picture? My mom, she was young. You know, they've been the same. But my mom was young. You know, back then she was, you know, I don't want to say a little selfish, but she 
She was living her own world. Nothing wrong. Nothing was wrong with her back then. Nothing I knew. I was young, but uh, she just she 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 wasn't around. But thank God that she allowed me to move live with my pops because she could have been, you know, she could left to your own demise at that point. Exactly. If I would have been raised by her, my life would have been totally different, like totally totally different. But she allowed my pops to to raise me and also his older sisters was the one, you know, that gave me that mother figure, which is the ones that raised me. Cause you know, my pops was out back and forth to Hawaii, you know, living a, the, 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 the nightlife. And, um, so, you know, when he was out partying, I go, go to my aunts, his older sisters. And they was like, my, they was like my mother. And they, uh, they really, really took care of me, you know, gave me that my grandmother, a godly strong woman, 90 years old to this day, still walking, still, Driving all the stuff, but um, you know, raised by those women, and um, they showed me the love that my mama never, you know, never, never gave me. But me and my mom got a good relationship now. As I got older, I have I hold no old wheel to her because she was young. I'm an adult now. I have a choice. Oh, look, I could be mad and stuff like that. But look, it is what it is. She was young, but look, if it wasn't for her being responsible enough to know that she can't raise me like that. You know, saying I thank God that she was able to give me to my pops because you know, even when I was younger, you know, she was when I was in elementary school, she'd get mad at my pops and take me out of school sometime for like two, three months, and I was so behind in high school, man. And elementary school, I meant it messed up my whole learning disability, messed me up, and they gave me, said I had a learning disability and all this stuff. But by my mom doing that to me, trying to get back at my pops, it like it put I you was behind the eight ball, put, a put bit. me behind. So I was in first grade for like two, three years. I had to skip second, third grade just to get back into fifth grade. In fifth grade, I struggled, got a hill back in fifth grade, and they put me back in my right grade in sixth grade, and then I'm going to seventh grade. And um, as you know, I was just, I was just, I was just caught, I was just lost. And then, you know, and and I had teachers telling me I was high school dropout material. They were saying he just, he, nothing we could do, he just can't learn. It was like, he's, he's just, he need to put on Ritalin. And so the one teacher tried to get my pops Ritalin one time. My pops took the, the, the prescription, ripped it up on her face. I look, ain't nothing wrong with my son. He was like, nothing wrong with my son. My son ain't going to get taken no fucking Ritalin. You know what I'm saying? And so nothing wrong with that for the kids that's on it, but that was just me. And But, you know, he was right. It just I had to get caught up in the system. I mean, not in the system, but... um. You know, but you know, my one of my aunts, you know, by me failing through all high school, the Dallas DISD system kind of like messed me up, kind of gave up on me. But then my aunt moved to Plano, and so I was in, you know, I was in Pleasant Grove, and the, you know, the crowd I was hanging out with was not a good crowd, man. I was, I could have been dead, man. You know, I could have been dead. We was, it was out there for a little we bit. We was out there, especially Pleasant Grove. That's all we had. That's all we had to do. Was all we did was fight, and all we did was. You know, my friends at the time, they 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 used to steal cars for sports, to break into houses and stuff. And I, they used to break into houses and stuff. But I was always there. But for some reason, I knew if I got, you know, I was always scared of my pops. I see them do it like, yo, but I always had that fear of my pops. Like, yo, I got to go on to my pops. If I get into some stuff, I'm going to have to worry about my pops whooping my ass. And so I was always there with them. They steal a car. I'm like, ah, no, nah, I'm going I'm to walk home. So the pops didn't play that. Pops didn't play. But he was, he was, he was like a big brother, though. He, he wasn't like a pops. He he was like a big brother, but I'm still scared of him. He, he you know he started to fear me young. Now, did you was he a disciplinarian or was it just more the fact? He wasn't that a discipline. He wasn't. I feared him. A, I feared him. I, he wasn't a disciplinarian at all. He let me do what I wanted to do, but he just started to fear me young. That respect, that that respect, um, 
fear. And, you know, and I was more afraid of my aunts and my grandma and them too. And, you know, so they, they put that in me young. They put it in me young. So, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's the pops. I'm but cu- then I'm curious, sorry to cut you off. I'm curious with you bouncing around to so many schools back and forth to different grades and, and things like that. Is there a part of you even still to this day that is comfortable functioning in some form of chaos or uproar? I am. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm calm under pressure sometimes. Sometimes I get a little frustrated and get flustered, but most of the time when it comes to like arc or pressure, I can relax. I can just relax and uh, just take it slow. So at this point, you, you've kind of got to, to high school. Now there's, I remember hearing on one of your other podcasts that you mm-hmm. did, um, something happened to you in, in high school. You know, you, you left PG and mm-hmm. then ended up going where? Oh, yeah. So I left Pleasant Grove. And like I was saying, my aunt, she just moved to Plano. And um, I was getting into some stuff in Pleasant Grove, hanging around a bad crowd and friends getting killed and stuff like that. I'm like, I call my aunt. Like, I call my aunt and I ask, can I come stay with her in Plano? I begged her. And um, she opened her arms. She opened her house to me and uh, moved me. And I moved in. And, uh, and at first, man, you know, I'm from Pleasant Grove. I'm... I got the designs back of my head, tall tees at the time, baggy right. pants. I get to, to Plano West, nothing but white. I got the Shefton at the time of the uh, high school. Shefton is a ninth, 10th grade. Plano West is 11th, 12th grade. Okay. And so I got the Shefton. And these white kids was happy-go-lucky, regular, regular clothes, and clean just, just clean cut, and nobody worried about it. Like in the Samuel, I went to high school. I went to Samuel. It was a fashion show up there. You know, <laughs> you know, you have to be fresh. And they, they just, they didn't care. They was just happy. Everybody was just friends and friendly. And I always, deep down inside, I always wanted that. Because, you know, in Pleasant Grove, you have to put on a, you have to put on a little. Uh, you have their stunt. Yeah, you got a stunt. And, you know, me, and I got picked on a little because I was always happy-go-lucky and friendly. And so I used to like, go friendly. You know what I'm saying? You're too friendly. I used to smile all the time. So that was frowned upon in Pleasant Grove. They used to call you friendly. used to pick on you. And uh, but, you thought know, you were soft. They thought I was soft. And but I was never soft, but you know, I was never um You weren't looking for it. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't, you know, I was trying to be friends with everybody. And it was and back then they used to call you like, oh, you're a friendly ass nigga. You know what I'm saying? They, they're clown on you for being friendly, so you have to put that away quick. And then that was kind of whack, but you know, always I used to watch like um like movies like Clueless and American Pie and you know those high school movies and stuff like that. And I'm like, I want to go to a school. I always wanted to go to a school like that. I'm like, man, I really wanted that. You wanted a normal high I school. I want a normal high school. And you put your thoughts out there, you not knowing, not knowing where you um what you're doing back then, but you you imagine it so much, you you vision it so much, it actually happened. So you 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 leave Samuel and uh-huh. now you're going to school in Plano. Going to school in Plano. They uh they call me, you know, they uh put me in some programs in there to catch me back up in my uh to to my right grade and stuff like that. And so they did all they, they did what they could do to to help me get caught up mentally, you know, in school and stuff like that. And then, you know, I start hanging around a, a, a good crowd and a great environment everybody's doing something awesome um and we had off-campus lunch at the time too like in in Plano West and stuff like that so you know we used to go to off-campus lunch we used to go to these kids house they lived in mansions their parents had like subway for everybody had like it was crazy like they 16th birthday they get hummers I remember this one kid got a big 2003 hummer at the time brand new for his birthday a BMW for their birthday and you know and they and their parents just honest Honest working people and um 
honest working people, and they just uh they they showed me what what, what hard hard work was like. If you want, if you really really want something, you have to put the work in. And they, and they showed me that, and I was like, so I had two different lifestyle choices. I could live a Pleasant Grove lifestyle where all everybody just being lazy. Not not you know not everybody. Everybody had that um. The hustling mentality, you know, you got a good, you got a quick money mentality. Yeah. So I learned that slow, steady growth. I learned that if you really, really work hard, you could get something. But um, but going back to the high school and stuff like that. But yeah, man, got caught up with the right guys, start hanging out in the right crowd, and um, got and you saw start, different, you saw a different side I of saw, life. I saw a different side that, of life. That's actually what I was going to ask you: is is can you speak to what it's like for exposure you know because now you were exposed to a whole different way of living mm-hmm. kids getting hummers for their, their birthdays bmws parents buying them you know subway for lunch so on and so forth um how important is it to have different levels of exposure it's very 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 important because most people in pleasant grove one of my best friends never been outside of texas his whole life uh, and you know they never been outside of dallas they you know and um it's crazy that just all you got to do is just see it. And once you see like it's just a little bit and you and, and you and you know what's out there, it just take your mindset to a whole nother level. Not knowing like back then, I didn't know what mindset and personal development and other stuff meant, but I kind of knew, I knew that, Hey man, if I, if I put it, if I work hard, you I can have that do too. It. I can have that too. And so that changed my whole mentality. Just, just, just by seeing it, seeing your friends walking to these mansions like it's nothing. It, it's crazy. Like it's it was just it was a beautiful thing to see. So you're at Plano West, and you know you you get exposed to a whole different way of living, a whole different like society essentially. Uh-huh. Um, you know you were in class at one point, and you heard an announcement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was my junior year in the high school. I was uh I was I was in English class. And there was an announcement saying, hey, if you students that want to run for class, pre- senior class president next year, come to the come to the uh, auditorium. I was like, you know what? I was listening. I was talking to one of my other black homeboys, homeboy brothers in, in class with me. And I was like, man, that'd be dope. I said, man, I should go run for class president and see what happens. He's like, man, these white people was not about to vote for your black, <laughs> ugly ass. <laughs> I was like, you know what, man? I was like, I got so mad. And I was like, you know what? Watch this. I'm about to go run. So I went to auditorium, got all the information. I ran home to my Aunt Sand. And she she like, all right, let's do it. So she helped me um start making freaking um you know, posters. Posters and, and uh election, like we start writing election speeches and all that stuff, and and just um, you know, little little hand, little hand the hand out to people and stuff like that. And so I just went for it. Went for it, went for it, went for it, and uh and not to help, it helped that I was on a football team too, because I had the whole football team. I was friends with everybody, but I was never a stranger. Like I, I treated everybody with respect at school. I was the Asians, the the Indian, the the the, the theater people, the every every group. I never shunned nobody. I was I was cool with everybody. That was just the type of person I was. It's the people person. It was people person. I was just cool with everybody. I never met a stranger, and so that that actually helped me, you know. And so when I ran for a class president, man. I was going against the most qualified people in at Plano West High School. I, I was going against the Valley Victorian. I was going against um like the uh the who's who of the, the school. The who's who of the school. 
all different colors and stuff like that, all different races, smart people. And I did, did a speech and they told me that my speech was more like relatable. I don't remember what I said, but they was like, man, we people related. So I ended up winning. I won by landslide, man. I mean, I killed, I killed it. So it was, it was just crazy. You know, it's crazy, Mo. We got to give a quick shout out here to our family over at Blowing Smoke Cigar Lounge, 215 West Camp Wisdom out in Duncanville, Texas. Absolutely. Uh, Edwina and the crew there at Blowing Smoke. Uh, for those of you who are on the southern part of the Metroplex, uh, make sure you you definitely get to Blowing Smoke Cigar Lounge. Uh, when you walk in the door, ask to speak to Edwina. She will make sure you are taken care of. And by the way, Cuff, uh, we have to give a special thank you as well. Yeah, absolutely. To uh, the folks here at Lone Star Tobacco in Plano. Uh, so especially, especially to uh, Mickey and uh, the gentleman behind the counter, Buddha, for allowing us to come in and work. Uh, Buddha you, is something else. Yeah, Buddha is something else. <laughs> if you come in, you'll you'll realize what we call him Buddha. Uh, but yeah, uh, here in uh, Plain off 14th Street. Uh, for those of you, uh, if you're ever up north, make sure you come in and check out Lone Star uh, Lone Star Tobacco. So, you you run for class president. What yeah. happens? I win. I won, and. I was so scared. I was like, shit. <laughs> what do I, do I was like, what do I do now? I was like, I got a whole senior. Planet West had about a thousand seniors. Wow. Thousand seniors. We had our class had over a thousand in our grade. It was Planet West. It was the biggest school I've been to. And I won. And um, man, that whole summer I was so scared. <laughs> I was so scared to go to school the next year. I was like, crap. I was like, what am I doing? I said, man, I'm not smart. I'm a dumb. I was like, you know what I'm saying? I struggled in school my entire life. I wasn't, I wasn't the most intellectual. I was uh like, how am come, I gonna figure this out? Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm coming from Pleasant Grove. Like, I was like, yo, how am I gonna do this? So then then they told me once I won, it's like, and you have to do the you, you gotta be the master of ceremonies at the high school. I really freaked out. Yeah. We got it done. <laughs> we got the job done. But yeah, man, I was um I was just nervous as ever. But you know, I just Sucked it up. I'm like, up oh, here we go. And I went to school that year with a whole nother different swag and just, and um, it's crazy that I thought I was going to be doing everything on my own, but um, we had a Congress class. Uh -huh. Just like being a president, a real president of the United States. It was a Congress class and we had like the treasurer, the secretary, and the vice president, and I didn't, I didn't know none of that. <laughs> and I got there and I was like, oh yeah, by the way, Tony, you got to be at this class at this time. Every day, it's a Congress class. We could come up with ideas and everything. And so when I got there, it was a team. They they actually helped me do it. I was just a face. So all I had to do was just make decisions, and they actually treated me like I was a real president. That shit was crazy. That's dope. I mean, the cheerleaders writing signs, and then you, have to, then you have to pick the gift for the high school, your senior year, and stuff like that, and you have to do different things. And so that year, it just gave me crazy confidence. That's, you know, I was nominated to run from Homecoming King. One, my, you know, I was the first, uh, first black. I think there was one. I think in two thousand two, there was another black homecoming. I forgot. I think it was Ed, Ed Johnson. But I thought I was the first black homecoming. Me and I homecoming came, but the first black president. I was like, crap. All right, but it's cool. <laughs> but uh, but I was the first black homecoming king at Plano West, and so I was. I won Mr. West, and it was like, and when it came to senior class for the prom. Like Tony, you can't run no more. You gotta give somebody else tired, a chance. We're tired of letting you win everything. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so let, let's let's fast forward. I mean, at this point, you know, I haven't heard anything about boxing. Yeah, man. Um, I just man, I did not start boxing until I was twenty years old. Boxing, I say boxing found me. And and how did that happen? Yeah, I'm, I'm very I was, curious. Like you so, went from all that in your background 
And, you know, you get your first real responsibility, it sounds like, when you're elected class president, uh-huh. homecoming king and all that. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're boxing at 20. Boxing at 20. So I was never an athlete growing up. I was fucking terrible at every every sport. My starting position was ass back and <laughs> freaking um football. They're like, you know what ass back mean, don't you? Like, yo, <laughs> coach, coach, let me back, get your ass back. <laughs> I was I was killing that position. Starting left bench. You know what I'm saying? But um, you know, it was something about boxing that that it was I would stick to, but go back to that. But you know, as an athlete, you know, my first cousin is uh Antoine Randewell, played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh played for the Washington Redskins, and you know, and he inspired me to know that hey, if he made it to the lead to that level, I used to go to IU University with him and watch him train. I used to go to all his high school games. And in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be I always wanted to be an athlete. I just I was I wasn't skilled enough for secondary. I wasn't big enough for lineman or linebacker, nothing like that. I was just a normal guy. But in the back of my mind, I was like, man, I always wanted that lifestyle. And and when boxing presented itself and and how boxing presented itself, I was working at my college on on campus. I was the porter. I had to pick up trash every day. I did that for free rent. They was like work on campus. You pick up trash every morning, keep the places furnished at the on the campus. And uh, so I was picking up trash, and I saw this this dude. He was in shape, dude, but he was carrying stuff upstairs, and I he, I saw him struggling. I was like, "Yo, bro, you need some help." And then we started talking, and I was like, "Yo, y'all say you work out?" He was like, "Yeah, man." He's like, I box. I'm like for real? He's like, "Yeah, man." You come to the gym with me one day. I was like, "All right." Then like two, three weeks later, he ended up taking me to the gym in Richardson called PFC. And so I did the workout, and that shit was the toughest workout I ever did in my life. But I didn't quit. I pushed through it. And the coach was like, man, you, you might have box. You ever box for? I was like, no, I never boxed. He was like, man, who knows? Just keep coming to the gym. And so I just kept showing up. For some reason, I just kept showing up. Just kept showing up. And next thing you know, when I started telling people I was boxing, like, I think you ain't boxing. You 20 years, you know, my, my pops, my family, everybody. When I started telling people I was boxing, they was all hating. Are you 20? You got to start. You got to be eight years old to start. But you're going to get your ass knocked out. Boy, what you doing boxing? You ain't never boxing in your life. Boy, you can't even run up the street. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, was like, I got upset because people said I couldn't do it. And they thought I was only boxing because Brandon, Brandon Singleton at the time, when it got me, they thought I was boxing because he's because he was boxing. They thought I was just being a follower. But then as I kept going, I kept showing up. My first fight, man, I got my ass whooped. <laughs> my first fight, I, man, that was the first time I ever cursed in front of my pops. You know what I'm saying? Like hardcore, like straight curse, but no matter respect. So I was like, I looked at my pops like, yo, pops, man, I got my ass whooped then. And he was like, yeah, son, you got, got your ass whooped. But I was like, I just showed up to the gym. The next uh, the next, next day, just kept going. Then like a year later, and I'm fighting in my first Golden Glove tournament, I won. And then after that, just start winning tournaments, start winning, just start winning. Next thing you know, three years later, at the age of 23, I'm on the USA national team. Wow. I won states, won state golden gloves, won Dallas golden gloves, went to USA national regions, won that, ended up winning um, the state USA boxing, and ended up going to the nationals, where all the who's who is at the nationals. And the reason I got to the level, because I wasn't skilled, but I was determined to freaking make it. I could take a punch. And, you know, I had power because I was coming from football. You know, I had the football body, but, you know, I had power. And I started, like, at 215, 210. Oh, you and were heavyweight. I was heavyweight. I was going to say, what weight class you I wanted? I started at heavyweight. Okay. And so, um, and so yeah, man, I just started winning. And then after I made the uh, U.S. team, man, you get to meet. 
I was I was the one I was there was I had the less experience, I had less skills, but I had a work ethic. I had a little work ethic in me. But so you get to meet all the the the, the top boxers in the world, like the number two guy, number three guy, you rooming with them. And so when I first started boxing, you used to get USA boxing because you got to register to USA boxing to compete. So when I started boxing, I start seeing these guys on the cover of um the USA boxing, like um, and the guys in that time. There was uh, Demetrius Andrade, um, Rasheed Warren, Deontay Wilder. Um, who else was one of the ones that on, on the 2008 Olympic team? All their 2008, we used to get magazines with them on the cover. And so, um, next thing you know, man, I'm at the freaking Olympic Training Center with those guys, with the number two guy, number three guy. But they, after the Olympics, after the 2008 Olympics, I ended up making a 2009. Now that was my year. I like that next year. I just went, I just went crazy in 2009 because I was in 2008 and stuff like that. I was fighting some tough fights, but you know, it was getting my ass. You know, I, I got my ass whooped by the by other like it was this other guy in 2008, Craig Baker. He was the um, the former Texas State champion, and he was the former. He got ranked number two, number three in the nation. And so in 2008, I had to fight him. It was my first year going open to big boy open league, and I had to fight him my first open fight, and he beat my ass. And so. And then after he went my ass, and then we had to, that was the state Golden Gloves. Then I had to go to States with him. He's from Houston. So the States, man, you got to fight every, the best fighter from, I was a Dallas champion. So you got to fight the best, the Houston champion, El Paso Tech champion. All the major areas. All the major areas, the San Antonio. So I so I, had, I got matched up with Craig Baker every time. The first bout, the the, um, the Golden Gloves States. And the, the next week after he beat me, I had to fight him the week later. At the USA Boxing in the States, and he whooped me so bad two weeks in a row. I remember just crying. I just went home and just cried like a little bitch. I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> I was so upset because I fought so hard, but he was just so much skilled and better than me. He'd been doing it his whole life, but I didn't have that type of experience to get to the next level. But after I got my ass whooped by him, and then in 2009, he turned pro. And so I was amateur still, and then it was my year. Runway was clear. Yeah, runway was clear, so I just whooped everybody. I was like, I ain't fighting Craig Baker. They didn't have skills. They didn't have the skills Craig Baker had. So I just whooped everybody. And as you know, I was the 2009 Texas State champion on the U.S. national on, on my national Texas State national team going to nationals. So how long did you stay amateur? I stayed amateur for seven years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like you said, you didn't you didn't grow up you know fighting from the age of four or five years old. You mm-hmm. you you were a late bloomer, what they would call. I'm assuming. What yep. led you to make the jump from amateur to pro? Because I stayed amateur for. Um, Seven years, and I made it to the elite level. Like when most people like been boxing their whole life, never got to. I know guys that have been boxing longer than me, and they've even got out of the state Golden Gloves, never got out of Dallas Golden Gloves, and I end up doing it. And I got it, and then I stayed there, but then I ended up making Olympic trials in 2012. Um, made it to quarterfinals and stuff like that. And then when I turned pro, like after the Olympic trials, like oh, there's no need for me to stay amateur. I had no choice but the. I made it to the elite. I didn't want to wait four more years to try for another Olympics. So I um, end up I turned pro in 2012, and uh, signed with a uh, a, uh, um, a, a, comp- a fight promotion called Fight Fight Prize Fight Promotions out of Memphis because they was they knew they knew me as an amateur. They used to watch me fight and stuff. The amateurs, me and the promoter was real cool. We'd see me fight, and so I signed a, a contract with them. And uh, and they had me moving. Man, I had eight fights in one year, knocking them out back and left and right, boom, boom, boom. And that was one time I fought, I fought two. Top, I fought a dude that was six and zero, and the dude six to six and one back to back, like in the in, in the week. You only supposed to they only supposed to give you a 
a freaking um. So there's so, so some point like in there like a a mandatory rest period or something like exactly, that. Exactly, mandatory rest fights. period. Mandatory rest period, and uh, yeah, you have to. Uh, and you get they normally give you two weeks to that. Like us, you knock the guy out in the first round. We <laughs> we let you fight next week. And <laughs> so yeah, and so that like I said, I was moving fast, man. I was moving fast as a pro, and uh, end up going um seven and seven and zero. Oh. Lost my seventh fight against a swole ass dude. I was faster. But I just started late. I lost by um, a majority decision. It was a war, but I lost by more majority decision. And then after that, I just went on a win streak again, man. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't beat myself up. I was seven and one, as you know. Um, got it up to uh, to thirteen and zero. Me and me thirteen and um twelve and one. Then on my thirteenth fight, I ended up fighting. Marcus Upshaw, he was a veteran in the gang. That was a fight that was, they call him the gatekeeper of boxing. So um, he he fought all the top pros, all the top amateurs. He was just like he was a cold dude. He had about over twenty pro fights. And it was like Tony, you beat him, that's gonna get you to the next level. And me and him war, and I'm getting a draw with him. But it still put me in the top thirteen in the USA in pro ranking by me getting drawn with him. And then um, yeah, after that draw. I end up now. I end up getting another knockout. We got me thirteen one and one, and then out of nowhere, woke up with detached retina, man. So I was at the time. I was so devastated, man. I was so hurt because I put in so much work, and and with the, you never heard about detached retina until you heard um, about Sugar Ray Leonard. So I thought it was I thought it was over because you know about his this story. But I mean, I just put in extra extra work, man. And so while I was recovering for my detached retina surgeries. I was introduced to personal development. Well, let me ask you this. What is a detached retina for those that are unfamiliar? It's like, like what does it look like? It's, I don't know the correct terminology for it, but it's where it's, it's whatever allow you to see light. And so that was detached. And so when I noticed my retina was detached, I saw a little white, little bitty white curtain in my eye in the bottom of my left eye. And then I just never minded. And then I just kept, Training kept, you know, doing. So you're train. still getting punched and hit. Like, in the eye. like, yeah, like we it was doing like little light sparring and stuff like that. But I already I saw the white curtain. I was just, and then as you know, I was moving around with one of my guys and he didn't hit me hard. And like that, I just saw the curtain just got bigger. The white curtain. I was like, yo, I stopped. I'm like, yo, um, you couldn't see it coming. I couldn't see it. Like, no, I didn't. Get, I didn't. I don't think. I don't think even. I think he hit me in a body shot. I don't think he hit me in the head. And but I don't, it, it wasn't no buns. We were just moving around light. It was one of my homeboys just in there messing around, just just in the gym. And so I was like, hold on, let's chill out. And then my curtain just kept getting the curtain got bigger. I was like, yo, let me go to the doctor real quick. So I hurried up and went to the Walmart uh, eye doctor. And then when I went there, they was like, yo, um, you got multiple breaks in your eye. It was like your retina's about to come off immediately. How scared? Like, how scared were you? I was moment? nervous. Like I was scared. I was scared, scared, but you know, I didn't freak out, but I was nervous. They they had to send me to a specialist within five minutes. They sent me to the specialist. As you know, the specialist had to send me to the hospital. Like we got to have emergency surgery because he's about to lose his eye. Just well, like that. So I had to have surgery that day, that moment, just like that. Shut everything down. Shut everything down. You and, think in retrospect, I mean, was it better for you to have to go in immediately versus you know? It would have been, yeah, out? because I I would have toughened it out like I normally do. You know, I would have, I would, I would have lost. I would be blind in my left eye. Well, I meant like in terms of sorry. them saying, you know, hey, we'll schedule in two weeks. Like, oh yeah, to think about that. Yeah, having to think about it. Yeah, so that was scary. So I'm blessed. I'm blessed to where they um, gave me the the chance to go get it done now. And um, at first. 
And I went to a specialist. And at the time, I didn't have, I had insurance. Like I heard in the ring and stuff like that, like in a fight. I didn't have like good, good insurance. I was, you know, boxing is a poor man's sport. You know, I was making money, but I wasn't making, I was making enough money to survive. But um, somebody wanted, somebody told me that, yo, Parkland Hospital have a program for people who don't have insurance. And so I ended up having to go to rush to Parkland Hospital that day. And they took care of it, man. I Shoot, man, Parkland Insurance is legit. It was scary in there because it's government hospital, but. I've been to Parkland before. Yeah. There's some characters in that waiting room. It's characters, but they fixed my shit. Like only the insurance, they the program, it was like $70 a month for the insurance. And my eye doctor visit was like $10. So Parkland, you can hate on Parkland like you want. They took care of my eye. They took care of me. Now, was good. What's, what's crazy about this? Because, you know, you didn't have just one surgery. You had five. I had five. So the they put a buckle on my eye. It didn't work. A buckle. And a buckle around my eye. It, did, it didn't hold it because I had multiple breaks. And then one day I was... uh with one of my buddies, he asked me to move some furniture around with him. And so it's the gym equipment. So I lift like, it was like two, three, like a month after my surgery, I thought my eye was good. As soon as I lift up on that furniture, I lift up and I strain, blew my whole eye out again. So I had to go have surgery that day, the next, that day again. And then they put a gas bubble in my eye and it worked for a while, but that didn't work. And they put another gas bubble, they didn't work. And then oil bubble is what eventually did the trick. Did the trick. Man, I'm looking at you right now, and I'm thinking to myself, how painful was that experience in those surgeries? The surgery was painful, but the recovery was the most painful because you have to keep your head down the entire time. You can't look up when you have a bubble in your eye that would hold the retina down. So for two weeks in a row, every time I had a surgery, I had to look down. I had to eat down. I had to sleep with my face down. I could not get up. I couldn't walk up with my head up at all. At all, so that was that was the worst. I mean, it was that was the worst recovery ever. I had to do that four or five times. That's crazy. So you have this attached retina, multiple surgeries. I'm assuming at this point you realize, okay, I, I got to call it a career, right? Yep. And so while I was recovering, I was introduced to personal development, and I kept hearing this guy Les Brown. Oh, Les. oh, wow, yes. and. And as I'm listening to his story, his story was similar to mine, like how they called him retarded as a kid. He couldn't listen, but his mindset was crazy. And he was like, man, you you could do it. Like, just listening to his podcast, I can't, I used to be able to quote his podcast. I, I listened to so many, not podcasts at the time, but listened to his YouTube videos and just... Just listen to it and motivated the crap out of me. Now, did anybody put you on the list or you just happened to find So, them? I... Was doing like I didn't know what my next moves gonna do. I was doing Herbalife, Herbalife Nutrition. Oh yeah, and Herbalife Nutrition Herbalife introduced me to personal development. And then after you know, I started listening to Jim Rohn, and then Jim Rohn somehow led me to Les Brown. But Les Brown was one I connected with. I used to listen to him every day. How every important day. as a at this point you're you're either you know hanging up the gloves or about to hang up the gloves. But how important is personal development at any stage in your life? Personal development is the best thing that ever happened to me because it, te- it gives you a type of mindset that where you could you feel like you could do anything on this earth. You, you, you just, just give you the mindset to where you can't be afraid to fall out the sky. And, um, and listen to those guys that had a similar upbringing like you and seeing how they persevered and made it to the top of whatever their game was, they gave me the motivation to do that. And so 
Les Brown introduced me to Earl Nightingale. And Earl Nightingale, it was in the 60s and 70s, but his motivational tapes and stuff inspired the crap out of me. I mean, inspired me. Just the way he... He's the man. He he's the certain things he used to say. Like he he said something like, "Look, people think you work, you think you're your business owner, but he was like, no, everybody have a boss. Everybody have a boss. You could be the you could be the president, the business owner. You could be the top of the world, but your number one boss is the customer." <laughs> he was like, "Look," and he was like, "Man, he said, look, the customer could hire you, could fire you, they could demote you, they could promote you." He was like, "Look, if you don't," he said, "they could be savage, cutthroat." But the customer is the boss. If you don't make them happy, you would not be successful. And I remember hearing that. I was like, huh, that makes sense. So to this day, I keep that mindset. Well, you said the magic word customers, right? Uh-huh. So you recover from these multiple eye surgeries. Yep. At what point does TMAC training come into play? Because, you know, for those who don't know, you know, you run your own successful gym now in Allen, Texas. Uh-huh. So. You know, how did you make that transition? Obviously, like you said, you just you so, discovered Les Brown and Earl yeah. Nightingale. Uh-huh. Somewhere in your mind, you're like, okay, I still love boxing, obviously, at this uh-huh. point. Uh, was this just a thing like, okay, this is the only thing I can do that keeps it close to it? Uh-huh. How or, did the transition? Yeah, there you go. How did you transition? Right, so, Thank you, Cuff. While I was boxing, you know, I was only getting paid like $500,000, a couple of thousand here and there. Most Boy, I ever I made. I thought you said 500000 I said $500,000. Like $500. <laughs> <Wow>. Clarify, please. $500. I was only getting paid $500 to $1,000. And uh, and like the most I ever made was like $5,000. Even on the biggest fight, I had $5,000. And so, but at the time I was personal training. Like holding mess with people doing a box of fitness stuff, charging like $25 a session or sometimes for free. I would just, you know, $50 a session. But you know, I was I was doing that while I was boxing. So at the time I was working for other gym owners, boxing gym owners, and I was like, and I was seeing how they ran a business. I was seeing how they treated people and they didn't go through what I went through in boxing. I was like, yo, they teaching people wrong. And it was just whack. They didn't have the experience I had. And I was like, yo, if this motherfucker could do it, I could do it. I was like, and I and I don't like Working with nobody else. I don't like taking orders from nobody else because I'm my own man. And so one day we was driving to the Canelo Everest fight and, and me and my business partner, Nate. And he's always, he was like, he's a, uh, I want to mention Nate. He's a, a big mentor in my life. He's another guy that always kicked uh, knowledge to me. Old uh, white guy, older than me, successful businessman, dropped to high school in the 10th grade, but running a multi-million dollar business. And he was my boxing manager at the time. And he always told me this taught me how to save money. He taught me, my papa taught me the, the the common sense way. He taught me the business way. He always said, look, man, when you retire, we'll open a gym. And then he taught me what a LLC. He taught me all about the, the paperwork, the paperwork, the, the stuff that, you know, nobody uh, really talks, nobody about. really talk about, especially in that, in the hood stuff. You know, nobody talk about, say, they all think about, Hey, we need to get this quick hustle, get this hustle. But he taught me the, he showed you the behind right the curtain how to structure it. He told me how to structure it. So, um, like I was saying, we was riding to Canelo fight. And I was like, Nate, man, I really think I could open up a gym. Man. I said, if, if this guy is doing it, yo, I could do it, man. I was like, yo, I didn't nobody take see. I was like, yo, I like I'm I could really teach these people something. You know, so I could teach, I could have the the box of Phoenixes all, you know, I always had the, the fun classes. Then I could teach the fighters because I could relate to the fighters. I was like, look, man, I need to, I, said, I think I could open a gym. He's like, all right, well, buddy, let's uh Find a location and go get you an LLC. I'm like, what the hell is an LLC? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, he was like, I'm like, what is that? He's like, well, if you really want to 
open business because filed for LLC. And the next day, I filed for it. Uh, I went to file for an LLC. I got it. And then now I was looking for locations. And so and when it came to locations, um, I was looking. I had business. I had um, not business partners, but clients. It was some wealthy, wealthy clients. And they was like, all right, Tony, where's well, your find location? We, uh, we'll invest this amount in to help you get this stuff like that. I was so like, oh, crap. I had some seed money. But at the same time, my cousin Angelo, we, we, I met with him and this other guy. He's a uh, named Adam. He was a fitness equipment seller. So he sold to all the big gyms and stuff like that. And so he threw some of my mind. He was like, he's like, Tony, look, man, you you fresh. You don't got that much money. You don't want to be a slave to the gym. He said, you don't want to put so much money down and just be a slave to it. And if something go wrong, you you all this money. So he's like, look, what I would do is move into somebody else's gym. And you can still be your own separate business, but moving to somebody's gym. He said, I know this person at the den, what they called, he was like, look, man, they, it's a rugby facility, but they, they're really struggling, man. It was like, if you want to, you should move in there and just help them out and just and bring whatever kind you like bring pay, to the table. Pay rent or pay, pay, pay rent and stuff yeah. like that. And so I did that and it was just me empty and they had a little rugby facility, but I did it. And so I went to the, you know, I met with the guy, the owner. I was like, I told him what I was trying to do, what I could bring to the table. He was like, all right, let's move in. Cause he was struggling. He was like, I need to keep this place open or whatever. And so I moved in the next day. Cause we had a uh, we had another gym, my business partner Nate. We had another gym we was training at and stuff like that. So he, I told him about. I said, "Yo, I found a location." Blah, blah blah. He was like, "All right, let's go, let's do it." It was more into it, but I was like, "He was like, let's do it." So we moved the ring, and we had like a few bags, like two or three bags at the time. We moved it in, in, into the den. Next thing you know, man, once I people found that I opened my own gym, that's when um all the alignments start coming. Oh, man. And, so and that's what I wanted to off. ask you. Yeah, for sure. Like. You know, at this point, as I want you to put your business owner hat on here. Are, are you marketing the business? Or I mean, you that's got when your social LLC? media. That's when social media start start getting good. Like in 2016, like when you're seeing Kevin Hart doing all this marketing and you send all these other gyms and stuff like that. So, social media grew my business, Instagram and word of mouth. I didn't really do no hard marketing. I didn't have no money. I didn't. I started out with. I literally started out with no money. And so I had to do it the the hard way, the slow and steady growth. And so um, I just kept posting every day. I had one, like at first it was just me showing up every morning to the gym, nobody showing up. But then um, people were like, look, Tony, just keep showing up. One day it's going to happen. And then as you know, somebody walked in. Some of my personal clients that um, I was at the other gym at, they like, oh, you got your own gym? They came, started doing sessions with me, things you know. And then out of nowhere, it started happening. Then I'm starting to get fighters. And they're like, hey, T-Mac, you know, I had the respect for all the fighters as a fighter. I was like, yo, we hear you training. Like, we hear you training. They, they saw me hold mitts. Like, oh, you can hold mitts, actually, because most fighters can't hold mitts. And so I actually knew how to hold mitts for all the practice I got from doing personal training. And so um, then everything just start falling in line, man. It's just the the alignments God placed in your life and the, the people, the timing. You just put yourself out there, man. I'm a strong believer in just jumping out there in faith. And I guarantee stuff will fall in line, man. It's crazy. It's scary take, how it works. Take action. Yeah, take all you gotta do. Faith without work is dead. All you have to do is just take action. Just put a little bit of faith out there. Just put a little just step out a little bit. And it's crazy how God set up all the alignments you need to be successful, man. It's just crazy. Uh, you said take action. Couple of, allow me to take action for a quick second and mention uh, another one of our sponsors, the good guys at Definition Cigars. Uh, for those of you out there, whether it's the conception. Uh, or the prolific, uh, my personal favorite. Uh, make sure you get a stick by Definition Cigars. 
you know, it's definition because there's a ribbon around it as opposed as opposed to a sticker. Um, you can find all the information about their sticks on Instagram at definition cigars or uh, definition cigars.com. So 2016, 2017, you, you know, going ham on the social media, you, you, you brought over a couple of clients. Boxers are now starting to pay attention knowing that, Hey, he can do the, the, the mitts. Um, at this point, do you say to yourself, okay, how do I scale this? How do I continue to grow this? Like, what are you, what are your thoughts at that time? And I want you to talk to our visionaries uh -huh. as if you're their personal coach, you know, and, and they want to start their own business. Like what advice are you giving them when you're in this moment? Man, you, um, hopefully it's going the right way, but you gotta, you gotta treat everybody to, you gotta treat everybody right. You have to, you have to know your stuff. You gotta treat everybody like a, a, like human. a human, not a number. And so, and I'm not working. I'm having fun. I'm not working at another job. So I'm I'm actually enjoying going to the gym daily. I'm actually enjoying enjoying putting the hours in. And so you have to love what you do. Your passion has to seep out in order for people to follow you. And so if you're passionate about something, if you're willing to run through a brick wall to get to the next level, you will be successful. And if you don't worry about money, because you got to know in the back of your mind, money is going to come. Money is not real. You get money all day, but the relationships is what's the most important because you could you could lose money anytime you get it back. When you lose a relationship, that's sometime for life. You can't, you, relationships are so, so, so important. So you got to build a relationship with people. You have to treat people like they're, like they wasn't, like they're not a stranger. You know what I mean? People going to do you wrong. You got one time, you screw me over, you're done, whatever. But still, you give everybody a chance. You give everybody an opportunity. And um, and people see how genuine you are, they'll be 10 times more genuine back. If They'll you, match it. it. Exactly. Energy. Energy. You're right. You're right, man. Energy is the key, man. And so if you just love what you do, continue to love on people, I think you have no choice but to, you know, get that in return. Get it in return. I agree wholeheartedly. You just mentioned the word energy. So for those who have not been to the gym yet, mm -hmm. what type of energy should they expect when they walk into your doors? It's a family atmosphere. We accept all fitness levels. We don't care if you never in your life boxed, never in your life worked out. It's all about coming around an environment where people love on you, accept you. We don't judge you. It's, it's one of the biggest, it's one of my biggest things that made me feel great when all my clients, I just get done whooping their ass in the gym, like I ass whoop asses and working them out, like putting the best workout in. And they just sit down on the ring and talk for like 30 moments, 30 minutes. They I saw so many people develop friendships at the gym to where they hang out, go to clubs together, go um go uh support party, support each other. It's like a I literally build a freaking family up there and um it's, 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 it just made me want to cry sometimes. I've been seeing them say, Pitchers, oh, we, I'm like, yo, I got an amateur team, these amateur fighters who was guys that never had a place in school, never had a place in football, never had a day I was picked on. And now I saw these guys come to the gym and develop friendships with other boxers, and they out eating, they out kicking it outside the gym, coding each other, accountable. I was like, yo, these little kids was so down on themselves. They was some kids about to commit suicide, their parents come in. Like one parent came in and started crying. Like, look, my son, I didn't, I didn't know what was the next step. I didn't know where he was gonna go in life. He was just always down himself, and we thought he was gonna commit suicide. But he came to the gym, 
and he walked with a different swag. He's like, he said, he just changed his whole mindset. He's waking up on time, going to school. He's he's outside running on his own. He's shadow boxing. I never saw my son have a spark. And they're like, damn, they made me cry then. I was like, yo, these kids, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I built something to where people could just feel themselves, like where I never judged the soul, man. It's certainly impactful, man. Yeah. I, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't give you the opportunity to – uh, tell the folks how how can they get a hold of you know T Mac uh, through social media and your physical address. So social media is T Mac Elite Training. Facebook is T uh, Tony Mac, or you could do the Facebook business T Mac Elite Training. Um, Twitter is TKO Tony Mac, and um, the, what's the address? The address of the gym is one hundred nine North Greenville Avenue, Suite A. Allen, Texas, seven five zero zero two. We do not have a sign outside. Of, we, I'm, I'm located inside the hidden gym, and so it's um it's a seventeen thousand square foot where we got all the we got a full football field. We got all the weight equipment you need in there. We have over thirty bags. We have a full competition size ring. We got sprint tones. We got therapy. We got ozone. We got everything you need to be successful. I go on and on about that. I can attest that. I actually went over there one day. I got <laughs> off work early looking for you. And oh. they say you just finished up a class. But like you said, there's not a sign out there. But if you drive up, you're like, okay, clearly there's a gym inside. And he's right. They got everything you need in there. Yes. Why no sign out of curiosity? Because it's the um, hidden gym. And, and to be honest with you, Allen regulations, they are really tough, man. <laughs> like the city of Allen. <laughs> you got to have so many it's like crazy stuff that's. It's going on where you you know, but it it it, it played it played perfect because the name of the gym is a hidden gym. Yeah, and so we get market. there, be like, oh, it really is hidden. I didn't know all this was here, so we just kept it like that. But like, you know what? People really like that exclusivity of it. It was like, yo, this is hidden. Like that's crazy. It's really hidden. If you come in here, you see a 17,000 square foot place that you don't even know that's that's there. You got everything you need, and so we was like, oh, I guess it worked. The hidden gym. Let's keep it. <laughs> I love the fact that it's called the hidden gym, but hey, City of Allen, Chamber of Commerce, or whoever's in charge, all those rules and regulations, get it together. Get it together. Get oh it my together. God, like, is my you, word. You, you, you got a gold mine. Like, <laughs> oh go my God, you got a gold mine. They're giving us a hard time, man. So City of Allen, let's, let's make it happen, man. Stop, stop, stop hating on our sign. <laughs> but we have, we still having the most success ever with no sign, just for the word of mouth. So, hey, what God have for you, can't nobody take it away. That's can't right. nobody mess it up. That's right. Let me open it up for a second, Cuff. Can I do that? So, obviously, you're a retired boxer, and I'm I'm a boxing fan. I'm not I'm not big on UFC. Like I, I appreciate it, but I don't like it. Like I love boxing. Okay. Um, in your opinion, who is the best fighter pound for pound today? Today, right now, so I could say Andre Ward is always my favorite fighter. One of them. But today, I gotta say my boy Earl Spence Jr. You know, I I sparred with him. He was me and him training buddies. We was on a USC team together. We was on Texas State. I. Texas State, and that was the person that hit me the hardest ever, ever hit in my life. But Earl Spence Jr., he's he's legit. He's, he's legitimately the truth. And uh, Terrence Crawford, my favorite, Lomachenko. I'm a big Lomachenko yeah, fan. My, yeah, he and him. It's uh, a lot of up-and-coming boxes I like. Uh, and Earl Spence, too. Earl Spence. You know, uh, got to hold down detail. Earl, if you're listening, you have an open invite to come on the show. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, it was definitely. Uh, this is Russian kid. Benavida, like um, Beneval, I forgot, Arthur Beneval, he's a beast. Um, what about Canelo? Or is he just, Canelo, or is it just of course, point? man. Um, Canelo, of course. I feel you like gotta, he, there's no one for him to fight right now. It's just not. You know, he's, he's, he, he's a 
a true general boxer, man. I mean, he put the work in, and his skill level is is amazing. He's tough. He's getting people out there, weight class, weight class. But yeah, man, it's and I, it's so crazy that when people mention, it, I got so many boxers I like, but it's so you say it, I'm like, ah, oh, these names just and my mind. But a lot of guys that's on a U.S. team with me, that was on the U.S. with is all world champions right now. That's what's crazy. Marcus Brown, Terrell Gachet, Earl Spence, Robert Brandt, um, Jesse Hart, uh, Michael Hunter. Who else uh, was on the U.S. team with me? That's killing it. Yeah, Michael Hunter. I, you know, he was. These all my my roommates. These guys, I I grew up with in boxing. We all came out of the 2012 weight, that 2012 um class. Now these was my my family, and like we lived together, we trained together, and uh, it's just crazy seeing my my friends. I'm like, ah. Uh, Cam F. Awesome, um, my friends, like, yo, they were, they actually got to where they said it was going to be. They were champions, but, you know, my story went a little different. Will Floyd ever fight again? Yeah, he going to get the right number. You got to say, Floyd is about numbers. He loves running up those numbers, so he's going to fight again. One of those, he's going to pick somebody who he's going to walk through. He could probably another UFC fighter or um, an up-and-coming boxer with a name, but somebody who's not dangerous enough. He's going he's gonna, he's gonna to pick up a smart fight, but I say he should leave it at 50 and 0. 51 and 0 don't sound good to me. I think 50 and 0 just sound amazing. I agree. Yeah. You know, 50 and 0 is a, is a sweet number. It's round, like at 51, 52. And then, you, you know, you, you kind of jeopardize that that L. Exactly. You, know? you, don't, you don't want – and you get 50 up and there, 1. It's just whack. You're getting up there in age, too. Get somebody young. All they got to do is show a little bit more youth and they'll get them. One time. One time. That's all it, it takes is one. Yeah. He don't got the speed he used to, the head movement. You know, he's and a he's little slower. Out. He's been out, he's been out. for a bit. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So, you know, we, you've dropped a lot of nuggets. I certainly appreciate that. I mean, we've talked about passion, growth, mindset, spirituality. Um, a couple of months ago, you did something pretty incredible. Can you talk to our visionaries on what it's like to participate and in, in complete your very first full marathon? I want to make sure I give you credit for the full 26.2. I say point two because people forget that point two. That You're point right. two was a killer. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, that was one of the most painful things I've done. I'd rather get punched in the mouth any moment <laughs> besides run another marathon. I might get a little... Spark even do another one. That was that that was all mindset. Now I've got a question because a lot of people say, "Yeah, I've, I've done a half or I've done a full." Right? Did you run the entire twenty six point two? I ran the entire twenty six point two. The only time I stopped is when at each mile they have like a Gatorade, water, pickle juice. So I grab it, drink it, run. Grab it, drink it, run. So continue running. Continue okay. running. Yeah, and, and there's uh, nothing wrong with that, but I'm always curious in the back yeah. of my head did they did they run the full twenty people run yeah yeah like it's it's like it's it's, it's just nonstop I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do what you have to do and so I respect anybody that that can run or go that distance I'm telling you right it would, now, it you was separate run a marathon <laughs> I real talk though I've done my wife ran a half in, in Nashville she did the Nashville Music uh, Marathon and we were training with no training bro real talk ran thirteen miles with her. That's tough. Yeah. How you do no training? That's crazy. Well, I was running. I was already, you know, okay. I was running doing my thing, but I would never go past Respect you know, to you. three or four miles. Uh, well, don't get it twisted. Now we did the the run walk thing. Okay, so okay, we, okay. That's why I asked that question because okay. myself having personal experience, you know, we would run. I think it's you're two minutes on, uh-huh. one minute walk. Uh-huh. Two minutes on, okay. one minute walk. 
But it got to the point where that was so, you know, slow. Yeah. I was like, man, I think around six, I was like, I'm out. And I yeah. just, I just finished Pushed through it. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, man, like, um, like I said, man, that was one of the uh, most painful things I've done. Like in boxing, you know, you get a minute break, you get to keep your hands up, you get to shuffle, you get to get on your jab and keep the pain away from you. But running, man, it's all you. I mean, you have a destination to get to and you have to get there or you could quit, give up, not run it. And so, man, I had so much support. I trained so hard. I had a run coach. I had so much support at the gym. I had my wife. She supported me. She was supporting me. She was making sure I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And I was like, I just can't give up. So I had to, I pushed through the pain. I ran with cramps. I mean, I caught cramps in my leg. I had to run up hills against the wind and I caught cramps and I just ran through it. I was like, I've got to stop. I mean, I got to keep it going. Can't stop. Let me ask you this. Why, why a marathon? Why a full? For one, um, I had to show my clients that I'm out there doing it too. I'm just not a talker. Okay. Action. They see me yeah. run a marathon. They see me running just dedicated to something every day. They make them want to be dedicated to it. And, uh, and I got married and was getting fat too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I can't be, I can't be an, an action seeker and, you know, always talking noise and getting, you know, and I'm a gym owner and I got to be the, you gotta look. You gotta look like you're on the, the gym. Yeah. I have to look the part. So if I'm out there, you know, living a different lifestyle and not preaching what I'm saying, I mean, when I not practicing saying, what, practicing preaching. what I'm yeah. preaching. I'm sorry. You know, people. You know, they won't take me as serious. So I have to get out there and be like, look, I'm still putting in work too. I push through the pain too. If I could do it, y'all could do it. Let's uh, let's let's, let's set goals and let's complete them. Let's, uh, let's get it done. If you're gonna talk the talk, walk the walk. You have to walk the walk and. Uh, and I got so much more respect for my clients, my, my my business partners, my wife. And they saw me go through the pain. They saw me train every day for six, eight months. But I could plan it, didn't, didn't skip a run. I did everything I was supposed to do to be successful for that day. And I ended up getting it done. I was ended up being successful that day because I put all the excuses behind me and I got the job done. And that's the way you got to approach life like that. You got to put all the excuses behind you and go get the job done. Got you. So it's time for us to land the plane, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, it is you and a round table, just like this one sitting in front of me. Okay. And there are five other boxers at that table. Okay. Who are the five other boxers you want at your table? Muhammad Ali, um, Andre Ward, uh, Sergio Martinez. Sorry, he's one of my favorite fighters because he started boxing at the age of 20, like I did. So he inspired me. Um, Sugar Ray Leonard and uh, this guy he's not the most respected the most known or the best of uh, the best boxers but I kind of when I was growing when I was in my boxing phase I looked up to Andre Berto a little bit I liked him because he had the little rugged style and especially when he was younger pro he had the little rugged style, and everybody used to say I used to fight like when I was in the amateur. Like, you fight like Andre Berto. You built like Andre Berto. Mm. And so I used to watch him all the time, and then, you know, and I ended up, and I liked him. And then I met him in person, and kicked it with him and stuff like that. It's crazy. But uh, Andre Berto, I think that was five, wasn't it? Yeah, I love that. That's a, that's a, that's a good quality list right there. And I got respect for Berto, too. Yeah. Um, you know, as we land this plane, I just want to say again, thank you for the yes, opportunity to, to sit down your a humble guy that's determined, that has passion. And, and I love what you said, you know, put all the excuses behind you. 
So that's a huge nugget right there for all of our visionaries that are listening. And don't forget, guys, you can tune in to the Vision Lab podcast each and every Tuesday at 1130 Central. Okay. Um, last question of the podcast. What advice would Tony Matt give himself from five years ago? What advice would your current self be giving yourself from five years ago? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, we, that's ago. why we didn't tell you before we asked you. Uh, man, um, keep pushing, man. Don't don't give up. They're going to be easier days. Let me wrong to get and and um, things happened to me in my life re- like recently that if I would have went through five years ago, I would have gave up. But God threw some responsibilities at me. God threw some some really, really tough obstacles at me so I could persevere to get to that next level. And so when I was going through some tough, tough times, I never gave up. I uh, I persevered and I walked through the fire with a smile on my face. But if that would happen to me in the middle of fighting or something like that, what I was, what I was going through and stuff like that, I would have gave up. So I would have told myself to continue to persevere, continue to push yourself, continue to get stronger in the word because that 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 got me through a lot of stuff getting be closer to God and God showed me that look man you you need me to be successful he's like you can't do this on your own yeah. and so he he did he threw stuff everywhere I had had no choice but to rely on him and so he did that for me man and I and he he looked out for me and I had no choice but to rely on him and he came through for me and so he's 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 amazing love that love that all right now last question of the uh, of the podcast here, um, we're gonna make you a little bit older. We're gonna make you five years older. Okay. Okay. Now, what advice would your older version of yourself? What advice would he be giving you today? Uh, like I stated before, man, keep pushing, keep loving on people. There's going to be more obstacles coming your way, but just keep on trusting in God and just keep on, just keep on keeping on and don't be afraid to, to take more chances. Don't, don't be afraid to take more risk and just continue to fall out, fall out the sky with no parachute, not being afraid to fall. You'll land on your feet somehow. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Visionaries, thank you again for tuning in. Remember the Vision Lab podcast is a platform that's developed specifically with you in mind. All of our guests are going to leave nuggets, breadcrumbs, if you will, on the path, your journey. It's up to you to pick them up. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice you have been listening to is Tony Mack. He is the owner of T-Mac Elite Training in Allen, Texas. My name is Ryan Mosley. He is Ryan Cuffey. And we'll see you next week on another great episode of the Vision Lab Podcast. Blessings.